Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Today, uh, we'll, we'll read from Isaiah 64, and this, I think, really correlates with Dan's series on pillars. It correlates with what's going on in the earth right now. It actually correlates, I think, with what's happening this weekend today on this Shabbat with all of us and the, the timing of what's happening. And the Holy Spirit is so good on that. He, he always is perfect on time. So Isaiah 64 is where, where we will uh, be reading from. And going back to last week, we mentioned a little bit about firstborn. The firstborn is a theme throughout scripture. We talked about the, the bloodline of Esau and Jacob and, and the battling of that, because Isaiah 63, Yeshua comes from defeating Edom, Esau, with his garments stained in blood. <clears throat> so there's this firstborn theme, and we're going to see this here in Isaiah 64. In fact, this is going to be the cry of God's people is remember that we're your firstborn. And, and we're going to see that. So as a, a brief recap on firstborn, Israel is God's firstborn. And we talked about what Israel means. It's the circumcised of heart. Israel is God's firstborn. As a reference going back, I think, two weeks ago, Exodus 4.22 talks about Israel is God's firstborn. There's another layer, though, to it, and that is Joseph is God's firstborn. He's the one that has the firstborn blessing, the birthright. And we find that in 1 Chronicles 5, verses 1 and 2. Just like there are different levels of works in the kingdom, some get 30-fold, some get 60, some 100-fold, some build on brass, some build on silver, some uh, build on gold. There's different levels. There's different levels of firstborn. So Joseph is a second layer. It's like drawing closer to the fullness of Yahuwah in you and you with him. There's another level of firstborn in addition to that, and that's the priesthood. And we see that the Levites were considered the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn. Levites were the firstborn of the blessing and the firstborn of Israel. And that's shown in Numbers 3.12. So there's different levels of being the firstborn. And you don't have to be the natural firstborn to be the firstborn. So make, make sure that that's not in your head. There's no unbelief in that, oh, I'm not qualified to be the firstborn. If you're circumcised apart, you're of Israel, the firstborn. If you are grafted into the covenants of promise, then you are a firstborn of Joseph. If you are a priest standing before God, which he said we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests, then you are a firstborn priest. So there's different levels of this. And Jennifer made the comment about being at the Red Sea and being at the edge in between uh, Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. What's happening today is 
the first of many decisions that will lead into the last days. My opinion, each decision is good. When you get to a place where a body of people are brought into a place of decision, it is good. Yeshua said this in another way. I wish that you were hot or cold to the Laodicean church, but because you are lukewarm, I spew you out of my mouth. I want you to understand, are you hot for me or are you cold for me? I don't want you to be somewhere in the middle where you don't know. You don't even know that there's actually a question. That's what's happening in the earth right now. Who are you going to serve? What side are you going to serve? So this happened throughout scripture. When they came out of Egypt, it was a choice. Do you want to go back to bondage or do you want to go to freedom? And you would think it's a really easy answer, but it really wasn't for them. That's why a lot of them said, oh, we want to go back to Egypt where all the, the, the leeks and the mushrooms and everything else was. They, were, they wanted to go back into bondage after being delivered. Same thing at Mount Sinai. You get to Mount Sinai, do you want to draw near as a priest or do you not? It's a point of decision. Another point of decision. They're promised the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. They're hesitating, so therefore, can we send 12 spies? Two spies say, absolutely, God said. So now the people have a decision. Did God really say to take the land? Or did God say maybe, and there's, he didn't say anything about these giants. A point of decision. They finally get to the place where he's, God's basically dragging them through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're about to cross the Jordan. They have to make a decision. Should we trust stepping into the Jordan and it will part? So each decision point, is getting them closer and closer in different levels to being the firstborn. Unfortunately, Israel continued to say no and no and no, and they struggled through that. This is what's happening with us in the earth right now. Do we want to be free or in bondage? And that can be done on many levels. And I don't mean just the governmental level. I mean in so many ways. Do we want to accept the bondage against us? Or do we want to be free? And then after that happens in the earth and it's happening right now, we as a remnant need to be ready for the next layer of decision for people. Do they want to be circumcised of heart or not? Do they want to be Israel or not? We need to be ready to receive them in love and forgiveness. It may not happen right away, but there is going to be a point of decision that God is going to take people on because he doesn't want them just to be free. He wants them to be free in Christ, in Israel. You can be free and apart from God. It does rain on the just and the unjust. Then there's going to be a point of decision is, okay, if now that you chose me, how far do you go? Do you want to walk in inheritance? Do you want to have the decision of Joseph and be the blessing, be the birthright? And then there's going to be even a smaller group that walk in that, that then have the decision, do you just want to stay with me as a priest? 
So it's a series of decisions that will take place in the earth leading throughout the last days. I think we're in the place of the first decision. Do you want to be free or in bondage? This is going to correlate to the second exodus. We are about to see the second exodus. It's not the second entrance into the land. That's not happening yet. Second exodus in terms of freedom. So my mentality through this, and this, everybody's got a different assignment. They have a different role to play in this. I want to share with you my mentality for my assignment. Uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 60. Verse 60. So John 6, 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Yeshua knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? Good grief, there's a lot of offense going on right now. What and if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickens the flesh, profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Yeshua knew from the beginning who were they that believed not and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I say unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back, point of decision, went back and walked no more with him. Then Yeshua said to the twelve, will you go away also? Then Simon Peter answered him and said, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and we are sure you are the Messiah the son of the living Elohim. This is my mentality. It's the same thing that Peter had. Where else are we going to go? If you've tasted the word, you've tasted the Messiah. There's no looking back. You can't go back to Egypt. There's only one way. It's going forward. So let's go forward. Let's not turn our heads like Lot's wife. We're going this way. Where else are we going to go? If, if everything that we believe is for naught, we probably led a really good life. We, 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 we helped each other. We loved one another. We're, we're taking care of one another. That's at minimum. But we know that he's true. So there's so much more. So I don't have a choice. I have to go forward. I have to. There's too many things that he said to me. That's another thing that we have to have locked in. Do you believe everything around you? Or do you believe what he's told you? He's told us that he's victorious. He is Yahuwah Nisi. He is Yahuwah the victorious. 
So I have to believe that. I have to move in that direction. I can't move in any other direction. He's told us that Zion is going to be made manifest on the earth. He's told us that his kingdom has come. I can't go in another direction. So anything that is outside that I'm hearing, any actions that might be taking place is contrary to that truth. And I know that there's been a phrase that's been kind of laughing about, I think Vice President Biden said this and kind of messed it up. I'll say this, truth is actually greater than facts. What do I mean by that? Fact is that I am here before you without hair. That's a fact. <laughs> the truth is in the spirit, I have long hair. Truth is better than facts. Facts are temporary. Truth is everlasting. The fact is that Jesus died on the cross. The truth is he is the risen Messiah. Facts are temporary. Truth is everlasting. So I'm locked into the truth. I'm not even concerned about facts <laughs> to a point. They have to align with the truth. This is what it really means to have dove's eyes for him, to be totally locked in and you can't see. So the dove's eyes in their sockets, it's one of the birds that their, so their eyeball sockets don't move. In order for a dove to see in a different direction, they have to literally move their head. They are so locked into what's in front of them. In the Song of Solomon, God tells us, we have dove's eyes for him. So I have dove's eyes right now on what God has told me in the word, what he has told me personally, I am locked in. I don't care what facts and noises around me. Like Peter, I have nowhere else to go. I'm going forward with him. So that's why I wanted to share with you that song about being victorious. It is an attitude. It's not just the truth. You need to now manifest it into your reality of living in the truth. And that is Really? He's already done the biggest parts of the victory. He's opened up heaven for us. He's brought his kingdom into us. It's almost like, what else do we need if we start living in that reality? Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, with that said, look how he starts off. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might flow down at your presence. And the melting fire burns. The fire causes the waters to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. The nations may tremble at your presence. When you did terrible things, we looked not for. You came down, the mountains flowed at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen, O Elohim, besides you, he has prepared for them that waits for him. You meet him that rejoices. 
and works righteousness, that remembers you in your ways. Behold, you are angry, for we have sinned. And those is continuance, and we shall be saved. I'll stop there. The language is intense. It reminds me of Mount Sinai, but I actually think it is the next Mount Sinai encounter. Mount Sinai was supposed to be the former reign, and Israel turned their backs on it. So we got the former reign in Acts. This is describing the latter rain coming down. The intensity of his presence. So let's dig into some of these, these words. <clears throat> By the way, this is also in the context of Zion being made manifest. Keep in mind this whole study, and I've never done a study this long, but it, there is so much here in Isaiah. This whole study is still about Zion. So this is in the context of Zion being made manifest. There's a number of steps to it. They're both linear and they're parallel across realms and dimensions. This is one of the steps that's needed for Mount uh, for Zion to be made manifest on the earth is the latter rain to come. This is what we're about to experience. So the word rend in 64.1, would you rend the heavens? It is the Hebrew Strong's word 7167, Torah, and let's take a look again at Isaiah's study first mention, because we've talked about this so many times that Isaiah is putting together a masterpiece in first mentions. Um, Genesis 37, you're going to see the first mention of rend, Ra. Genesis 37. Verse 29. And remember, this is going to be a theme about firstborns. Genesis 37, verse 29. So Joseph's brothers put him in the pit, sell him into slavery. Genesis 37, 29. And Reuben returned unto the pit because Reuben didn't know that his other brothers sold Joseph. So he turns to the pit where Joseph was. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he rent his clothes. So the first mention of the word rent is in reference to Joseph being in bondage. Wow, is that interesting? So going back to Isaiah 64, what's happening when he says rend the heavens, he's saying Joseph is in bondage. It's a tie to Joseph, to that firstborn. Next word that jumps out to me is, would you come down? In Isaiah 64, 1. That word come down is Hebrew, uh, Strong's 3381, Yarod. First mention again, Genesis 11. So this is coming down. Genesis 11. As soon as you hear Genesis 11, you know it's the Tower of Babel which means it's the kingdom of Babylon. So we're back to Babylon coming against Joseph. See how all these things kind of tie together, this constant theme. Genesis 11:5 in terms of coming down. And Yahuwah came down to see the city, Babylon, and tower, Babylon, which the children of men built. 
So these two words now are immediately connecting Joseph being in bondage to the kingdom of Babylon established on the earth. Therefore, Isaiah is crying out for intervention. He's also referring to the mountains in, in, in uh, verse 1, which are the governmental structures, or going back to Genesis 11:5, the tower. So you have governmental structures of the city of Babylon established in the earth, keeping Joseph in bondage. That is the translation for verse 1 as a hint. Layered of the literal reading, which is Yahuwah actually coming down. But now the hint of the message is when, why, and how. That's all in verse 1. Verse 2. We have to spend some time talking about fire. <laughs> fire is so important. Uh, so the word fire in verse 2 is strong 784, 784, and it's Aish, Aish, three letters in the Hebrew, Aleph, Sheen, <clears throat> two letters in the Hebrew, I have that written down three, Aleph, Sheen, Aleph, Sheen, strength and pressing. So the whole term of, and this fire is going to make sense with the, the study that we did on anointing. So you have the strength or the head, the strength of the head, the leader, and it's a pressing. It's like in your face. And where did we come up with anointing? How do we remember we understood anointing as the anointing is the fire of your face. So fire is literally the, the pressing strength. It's the pressing strength is fire. First mention of fire. Genesis 15. First mention of this word fire, Aish. Genesis 15, verse 17. Abraham's sacrifice in the covenant between the father and the son. And it, Genesis 15, 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace, kind of what we're reading here in Genesis, uh, Isaiah 64.1, and an aish, a fire lamp. It's translated in the King James burning lamp, but it actually is a fire lamp. We know that the lamp is Yeshua. He is the light of the world. It is the candlestick. It is the menorah. So what this is describing is this is the strength pressing against us is Yeshua. He is the fired, fiery, on fire candlestick. So when the mountains burn and he comes down with fire, he's coming down with Yeshua. Yeshua is the one that saves. So Isaiah is crying out, hey, during the time when Joseph is in, in bondage, in the latter days, 
And when we are coming against Babylon and they've established their cities and their governmental structures, can you bring salvation? Can you bring Yeshua in fire? That's what Isaiah is crying out. Now, we also know that um, he is a consuming fire. And it's interesting that there's a whole bunch of phrases like consuming, devouring fire. But that again, that word fire is the leader pressing like front teeth. Sheen is two front teeth. So Aleph Sheen, the leader, the strength, pressing two front teeth. So fire is in your face. So he is a devouring fire. Look at some of these things. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to break something open, I think, in the spirit realm as we're digging into fire and water. And I think you're going to see this. So bear with me as we build up a little bit more on fire. Deuteronomy 4, 24. For Yahuwah, your Elohim, is a consuming fire, even a ka'ana el, a jealous, a zealous, jealous Elohim. Consuming literally means he is devouring. What? I mean, think about that. He's a devouring fire. And fire, as it moves forward across the land, it devours it. He is a devouring fire. Yeshua is a devouring fire. Psalm 21. Verse 9, you shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. Yahuwah shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. So we tie fire to anointing. Anointing is his face, it's the fiery presence of his face. When we're talking about our anointing, we're actually moving in a devouring fire. We're moving in a strength that is pressing with two front teeth against someone. That's anointing because the anointing is the fire on our face. So when he is devouring with his fire, it is the anointing coming in a in a fiery way and we're going to get in i'm going to unlock something here that's going to consume his enemies it's also going to consume the dross that we have so when i started off and talked about having dove's eyes what i want his fiery anointing to come at me is to consume my unbelief devour it Make it as waste. Isaiah 66. Verse 15. We haven't gotten to this place, but we will get there. 
Isaiah 66 is going to take us some time. It is the culmination of everything we've been studying. Isaiah 66, 15. For behold, Yahweh will come with fire. And with his chariots like a whirlwind to render, which is the same root as rend, by the way, render his anger with fury. What intense language he's describing. And his rebuke with flames of fire. This is the God we serve who consumes all unbelief who consumes all unrighteousness, consumes all iniquity, and consumes our enemies. That's the anointing on his face. It's fiery. And that's what happens when we move in anointing. It is we are lit on fire. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. Like a fuller's soap. He is going to scrub and cleanse, and he is going to burn. So why should we fear what the world is saying? My goodness. Malachi's getting this. He's, I think inside of him, he's not even sure if he could stand. That's our God. Psalm 18. Now I want to unlock something. Um, on this fire piece, there was a mention of the water. And we're going to unlock the fire piece through the understanding of the water. Isaiah, I mean, a Psalm 18. Verse 9. This is another description of Abba's manifestation onto the earth. We'll start with Psalm 18, verse 9. He bowed the heavens also and came down. So you see the parallel of what Isaiah is referring to in, in 64.1, but Isaiah is also then taking that and saying, it's also going to happen again. So Isaiah is bridging the first time and the second time to come. So the psalmist is now saying, he bowed the heavens also and came down, and now he's going to get into a description of, from the psalmist's point of view, what he was seeing at Mount Sinai. 
and darkness under his feet. See, to, to protect the people from the glory and the fiery face of God, he actually put a layer of darkness in there so that he did not consume them all. Without Christ, they would all die. Without Christ, we would be dead in his anointing. So there has to be a layer of Messiah, or before Messiah here, he puts a layer of darkness as a buffer between those two realms. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yes, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of sky. He had to physically layer himself and cover himself. That's why he's actually riding on a cherub. It's a covering angel. And now you got darkness covering him and realms of water and realms of cloud. As much as they saw at Mount Sinai, he was still covered in darkness, in waters, and in clouds. He still wasn't fully manifest. The earth would have fled. And we're concerned that we don't have the victory. That's our Abba. Verse 12. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed. hailstones and coals of fire. This is when his glory just starts to press through. Remember that, that fire, it's the strength of his pressing teeth, his front two teeth, his face is starting to press through the thick clouds and all of a sudden hailstones and coals of fire come flying out. Yahuwah also thundered in the heavens and the highness gave his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire hear this fire theme? Hailstones <laughs> and coals of fire. Yes, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. So there's constant victory from a war standpoint, always going out. We have a shield of faith to deflect or quench the fiery anointed arrows of the enemy coming at us because the enemy is coming with an anointing of fire at us. But there's never arrows coming at Yahuwah. It's always arrows going the other way out. So therefore, in our battles, when we are more and more apart from him, the arrows come at us. When we are under his wings, the arrows always go out. So when I'm locked into that place with dove's eyes, I'm locked in under the shadow of his wings at the banquet table in the midst of my enemies. Arrows are always going out and they're never coming in. Aha. You guys hear that? That's the place of going out, not in. Now, verse 15. Then... The channels of waters were seen. My goodness, and the foundations of the world were discovered at your rebuke. O Yahuwah, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. So 
So I saw as I was meditating on this passage in Isaiah 64 2, and he took me to hear, he started to open up in the spirit to me what this looked like when he moved back all of the things that he was covering himself in and then covering his movement from paradise, the third heaven, onto the earth, he actually had to pass through channels of water. As he breathed through his nostrils, that started to open up, and the psalmist can see that there are channels of water of realms in the spirit. In all of the realms and dimensions that we have around us, there are channels of water. There's also channels of fire. There's also channels of light. There's channels of his breath. There's channels of his voice. An example. Yeshua is on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he gets up in front of everybody and says, and out of your bellies will flow living water. Huh? That is the place of a realm-crossing intersection of a channel of water from one realm to another realm, and when it goes through your belly, it manifests in a certain way. Just like a channel of fire of anointing can go through your mouth and come out in words, but it actually is coming from a channel in another realm of fire. And it carries anointing. When we say that person is anointed or you're moving in an anointing, you are moving in a channel of fire from another realm. So when Yahuwah comes down, he actually has to pass through channels of water and channels of fire from realm to realm to realm, and then he comes down and makes manifest. Which means when we go into the heavens, when we live in the heavens, we're actually passing through channels of water and channels of fire, and then we can start to access those and start to move in them. So when we move in the Holy Spirit, moving in his water, in the living water, we are actually moving in the channels of water in different realms. And that's why it's always described as flow. Lean into it. Ezekiel's standing in the river. He stands in the ankle deep. He stands in knee deep. He finally lets himself go. It makes sense now for me of why I always felt like if, if, if the if the spirit was moving, all I had to do was lean in and it was like a river. And if I leaned in and just let it go, all of a sudden prophecy would flow, tongues would flow, interpretation would flow, miracles would flow because I was leaning into that channel of water. But now I have understanding that I am literally leaning into channels of water in other realms and dimensions, including directly to the throne where the river of God is. It's a channel of water in the spirit. There's also channels of fire. In the spirit, which leads to anointing. Do you want greater anointing? Start to unlock and pray for 
understanding and then movement in another channel of fire that is holy because the enemy also has channels of fire and channels of water. Now, of course, his are limited because he has limited access to realms and dimensions. We have the greater, hence the victory, because the heaven now has opened and the kingdom has come down. So we can access all the layers of water, all the layers of fire, and the layers of fire is depressing the strength coming forward off of our face. Isaiah, I think, is seeing all of this. He is moving in, I, by, oh, I forgot. I also saw as the clouds were moved, as his voice spoke and his breath came down, there's channels of gold. That's why sometimes you see the manifestation of a channel of gold come down as gold dust. I remember one time I actually saw the manifestation of a channel of gold. I didn't have that language for it at that time. Come down and, and, on, a, on a girl and her whole hair was gold, solid gold, like knock, 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 hard gold. It wasn't just gold dust. The whole, her whole hair turned into solid gold. It's a channel of gold. Which means then when we are doing our works, <clears throat> our righteous works, and building upon the foundation, which is Yeshua, Works of gold, <clears throat> excuse me, they're tried in the furnace, the fiery furnace. They're works of gold. We are tapping into the channels of gold. <clears throat> yes, we can hear his voice. <clears throat> excuse me. We can always hear his voice because his voice is in everything. His voice by his word, through his word, for his word, everything is held together. But there's actually channels of his voice. You can get into a place in prayer, in worship. He inhabits the praises of our worship. That you can all of a sudden be in a channel of his voice and hear his voice continuously. So I'm in prayer few days ago and you know i've been talking about loosing the angels of victory we've been doing this for months loosing the angels of victory i got into the channel of his voice and i actually heard the songs of victory in detail because i was in that channel so channels of water channels of fire um another way that we see this revelation one I'm going to describe it a different way. Revelation chapter 1. So John, being in the spirit, sees Yeshua. Verse 13. Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about with the paps of the golden girdle, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as if they had been burned in a furnace, because he came from the Father, who is the fiery furnace, his voice, the sound of many waters, through many channels, 
And he had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a a sharp two-edged sword. There's that pressing of the teeth. And his countenance was as the sun shines in his strength. What we are seeing, what John is seeing is the convergence of all of these channels in Yeshua. He's seeing fiery channels, water channels, voice channels, gold channels, all converging in Yeshua. Because Yeshua created all things and has access to all channels, and he's actually manifesting it to John. John, this is what it looks like when you're flowing in everything. (laughs) The flowing of all the channels. So this is what Isaiah is seeing when he says, Rend the heavens, O God, come deliver Joseph from the bondage of Babylon. Come down with your channels of fire, your channels of water, and the mountains will melt like wax. My goodness. In one of Dan's prayers, <clears throat> I think it's the, it's the morning prayer, he says, we place smoke screens in the spirit as sight and sound barriers. A channel of smoke around us in a realm. I have no smoke in the natural around me, but yet I am covered in a realm of smoke. It's a channel of smoke. I've tapped into that channel that's available to us right from the third heaven. All right, Isaiah 64. Take that, meditate on it, have fun with it. I think you're going to get a lot of revelation as you tap into these channels. Isaiah 64. Verse 3. Um, There's a phrase here in the King James that does not make sense, and I I, want to clarify this because this is kind of the next piece as Isaiah's crying out and he sets the context for us. So Isaiah 64, 3, when you did terrible things, really marvelous, tremendous, reverential things, wonderful works, that's basically what he's saying, which we looked not for. That's actually not right. It's not that we looked not for. The real translation in the Hebrew is we waited for. We waited for you to intervene and do a miracle, a marvelous work. That's really what it should be said. And then Isaiah 64, 4, he goes back and says, now, remember, we need to remember. It's the, rising, it's the rising of God's people through out of Egypt. So he's saying, remember this time when you brought us out, we became your firstborn. He's putting all these things together. It's the transformation of mortal to immortal. But it's through a waiting. And this is why this is so important even today. Waiting. Waiting, waiting. Do not be anxious for nothing. Psalm 27. We are waiting and crying out to God to come down in his fire, in his channel of fire. So Psalm 27. Dove's eyes. Dove's eyes for the waiting. Psalm 27, verse 14. 
wait on Yahuwah. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, your operating system, your belief system, so that you don't go in unbelief. Wait, I say on Yahuwah. When in doubt, turn everything off, focus on him. He takes the doubt away. He strengthens your heart. Psalm 33. Verse 20. Our soul waits for Yahuwah. He is our help and our shield. He is the help. Government's not going to help us. We're not going to help us. He's going to help us. Our shield of faith quenches the fiery arrows, but under his shield, the arrows go outward. He is our shield. Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in Yahuwah and wait patiently. Oh, I don't need any more lessons on patience. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Don't worry that the enemy seems to be winning. Verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off. Kind of a funny phrase. It's cut off like a eunuch. Not all, they can't be circumcised anymore. They're cut off like a eunuch. The enemy will be literally cut off and not circumcised. But those that wait upon Yahuwah, shall what? Inherit the earth. How long have they been waiting for this? He's already won. The setup is already in place. Our job is just to do our assignment and wait because we're about, we're on the verge of inheriting the earth. Zion is on the verge of manifesting in us onto the earth. Now's not the time to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah. Now's not the time to look back at Egypt. We've come, we've already done the hard work. Most of the time has already passed. It's been 2,000 years since Yeshua. It's been 20 years, 50 years, 80 years for some of us. We don't, why are we giving up now with two days left? Two months left, two years left. It doesn't make sense. Yeshua, you're the one that has eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Keep going. Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30, verse um, 15. For this says, 
Yahuwah Adonai, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in confidence, no unbelief, shall be your strength. But you would not. But you said, no, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall you flee. And we will ride upon the swift. Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at at the rebuke of one, and at the rebuke of five shall you flee, till you be left as a beacon on top of a mountain, as an ensign upon a hill. So what he's saying is, I told you to wait, be confident, and rest, but you said, no, I'm anxious, I need to do something. So therefore, in your doing something, when he told you not to, The enemy has rights to come and chase you. That's where we are today. If he told you to rest, you rest. If he gave you an assignment, you do an assignment, no less, no more. And then you rest. Verse 18. And therefore, will Yahuwah wait? Yahuwah is waiting for us to wait. It's kind of it's kind of like um a coach, a parent, you're watching your child, maybe you go to the zoo to run around to get them to a place and you wait and watch them run, 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 until they finally wear out. And that's what God's doing with us right now. Hey, guys, I know you're at the Red Sea. If you, you can wait on me, because I will move in perfect time. Or you can run back and forth a lot, and I'll stay here. And you can throw up prayers, and you can get anxious, and you can dig on the Internet. You can make a whole bunch of phone calls, and I'll be waiting. And when you're finally tired of that, and you wait on me, I'll be ready. That's what he's saying. So, and therefore will Yahuwah wait that he might be gracious to you. And therefore will he be exalted. That he may have mercy upon you. For Yahuwah is an Elohim of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. Isn't that interesting how he ties our waiting to his judgment? This is for today. This is for today. Isaiah 65, verse 5. You meet him that rejoice and works righteousness. Remember you in all your ways. Behold, you are angry, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, we shall be saved. Here's another one of those phrases that the King James just really botches it up. 
in those in can those in those is continuous continuance it really should mean everlasting that word is everlasting that's what it means that word is olam for yahuwah everlasting olam forevermore forever everlasting olam meaning this is really cool i think for we have sinned he has placed those from everlasting into the earth so that we might be saved it's another way to read it see in, in, in our own lives yeshua is the author and finisher of our faith it's this incredible exchange that I'm not so sure what we did. Yes, we said yes. <laughs> we said yes to him. But in order for us to say yes, the Holy Spirit has to enlighten us to say yes. So even the weak yes that we give him is initiated by him. And then in, in the exchange of us having our weak yes initiated by him, then he plants in us his faith. So he is the author of our faith. Right? So it's, it's, it's all about him. Likewise, in the earth, within Israel, he has planted those from everlasting. His people, his remnant from everlasting, that is the seed of faith in the body, so that the body, Israel, is saved. Another way to look at it, Dan started the series on pillars. Yahuwah has placed his everlasting pillars, human spirits that are established as assignments as his everlasting pillars into the body so that the whole body gets saved. It's his seed of being the author of faith into the body. Hence the pillars. He gives different people in the body measures of faith. The pillars have immense measures of faith because they were given that by anointing from everlasting. Their assignment is to be a pillar. So if they're in the body, they're placed in the body from everlasting so that the whole body gets saved. They're the ones that don't move. That's why always throughout scripture, Yahuwah has a remnant. During the time of Elijah, there were 7,000 that would not bow their knee to Baal. It was the remnant. They were the pillars. They were the seeds of faith on the earth that would never be corrupted. Because that was their assignment from everlasting. That was the anointing that was given them to do that assignment. So Isaiah is saying this. You meet him that rejoices in in works righteousness. Those that remember you in your ways from everlasting because they were there from everlasting. They're the ones that are always going to be in a place of righteousness. They're never going to bow their knee to to Baal. And 
they were sent on assignment because you were angry, not only with your people, you were angry with the whole earth, but because of the remnant, salvation will spring forth, righteousness will spring forth, and even though the earth should be crushed at your presence, you have placed remnant as a countermeasure to put yourself in the earth so that Zion will have a place of landing. If they were not in the earth, if the remnant, if the body of Christ was not in the earth as the remnant, as the pillars, the earth would be consumed and his promise to Zion would not be fulfilled. So just like he is the author of our faith, he's the author of Zion's faith onto the earth through his remnant, the pillars, which are us. My goodness. From everlasting, my assignment was to bring Zion to the earth. So therefore, I can't choose otherwise. Some people don't have a choice to look away and to not go forward. I know that that's part of my assignment. I am sent here to establish Zion onto the earth. I have no other choice. He created that in my essence. Think about the, the, some of the people in Scripture that they were ready to stand alone. Noah, standing alone. There's never been rain, but God said, so I'm doing it. That's my job. I don't care what the whole world says against me. I don't care that the giants are trying to kill me. I'm going to do it. Abraham was standing alone. He's living in Babylon during the time of Nimrod, and he's told by some voice who he says, okay, is Yahuwah, not sure who this is exactly, to go to a city made without hands. That makes no sense. He stood alone, even, even though Sarah didn't get it, he stood alone. Even though Lot didn't get it, he stood alone. Caleb and Joshua were standing alone. Think about the peer pressure on them. Ten other spies saw what they saw, and they were terrified. All of Israel is now terrified. They, what they saw with their eyes should have been terrifying for them, except they were sent from everlasting to be pillars for Israel. If they didn't do their job, I don't think Israel would have wandered in the wilderness. They would have been wiped out and God would have restarted with Moses because Moses was a pillar. See, God will always restart with a pillar if he needs to. He did that with Yeshua. Yeshua is the ultimate pillar. He was by himself. All his disciples left him. Because no one could do his assignment. Only he as a pillar could establish the works of God in that. And here we are today. We are sent as pillars to wait and to have dove's eyes to see his truth be made manifest onto the earth, no matter what anybody else says. I am going to hold fast to what God has told me in the word. I'm going to hold fast to what he has told me personally. 
because he always proves himself to be true. The word pillar. This is also cool. Since I referenced pillar, it's um, the Hebrew word. There's a couple of them. Here's one. Hebrew word uh, Strong's 5982. Ah, It comes from the root of Strong's 5975. Ah, First mention, Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Abraham and Sarah get word that they're going to have a son. And three heavenly beings come to them. One of them was Yeshua. Because Abraham worships. And if they were three angels... They would have said, please don't. We're fellow servants. But Yeshua receives the worship. So Genesis 18, verse 8. And he, Abraham, took butter and milk. And the calf is literally in the Hebrew firstborn. He took the firstborn, which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. There's so much here. And the King James is using, you know, relatively easy words for us. It's like um, third grade words, but the concepts and the hint of what is being said here is so deep. I'm going to start off with at the end of the verse, where we find the word, same word, amud, pillar, and that is, and he pillared by them, stood by them, pillared by them. Abraham was called as a pillar from everlasting to bring forth salvation, Isaiah 64, 5. So therefore, Isaiah as a pillar is standing by Yeshua under the tree and eats of the tree. There's eating, there's under the tree, and there's a pillar by the tree. So see this picture. Abraham, his assignment is a pillar to bring salvation unto his generations that are like the stars, human spirits, onto the earth. All generations are to be blessed. He had to be a pillar to pull that off. And he is being established with his offspring, Isaac, under the tree. And Yeshua is there standing as a bigger pillar, of course, under the tree, and Abraham and Yeshua eat. Abraham is at the banquet table, but he is also eating Yeshua, 
He's eating the tree of life. He's eating the bread of life. He's drinking of the cup of covenant with the bread of life, with Yeshua, under the tree, as a pillar. So as a pillar, we should be under the tree, standing with Yeshua, eating of the bread of life, drinking of the channels of living water, right? That's the first mention of the word pillar. Yeah. Let's go back to Isaiah 64. Uh, I want to make a transition. We're not going to get too far into it. Um, I think we're going to do a two-part series or two parts on Isaiah 64 because there's also a lot on the back end of Isaiah 64. But I do want to start making this transition now. So Isaiah cries out for this as a pillar. He understands this from everlasting. There'll be salvation being brought forth, uh, manifestation of Zion. And you're going to do it, Yahuwah, through your presence, your manifest presence, through water and mainly fire coming down. And now we get to verse 6. Isaiah 64, 6. But. Kind of like in scripture, um, we all were led astray, but God. Now, Isaiah is going to use the but in the reverse. So he sees all this glory, all this salvation, the manifestation of Zion, and he's reversing Paul's but God in Romans with this but going in the negative way, meaning prior to the blood covenant of Yeshua. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like wind, have taken us away. Verse 7. And there is none that calls upon your name, that stirs up himself, to take hold of you for you have hid your face your fiery face your anointed face from us and have consumed melted devoured us because of our iniquities so i'm going to stop there because what isaiah is seeing is this qualifier that god puts in his word to put off Isaiah 64, 1 through 5 from happening instantly. And we've talked about this with qualifiers. When God speaks, it immediately happens. It is. It's, there's no time lapse for, between him speaking and it is. He's, he's created this dimension called time, I believe, to provide revelation as much as we can receive of him, of his character over the course of time, even eternal time. We cannot receive all of his goodness if we did not have an element of time to experience it over the course of time. 
So he puts qualifiers in his word so that his word just doesn't is. It's not is. Just like he could not tell Pilate, yes, I am the king of kings. If he did, he would have been earlier than what he wanted to. Here's that time element again, back for today. So Isaiah is saying this could happen today, but he doesn't want it to happen today yet because there's a journey his people have to go through. And part of the qualifier is our iniquities. Our iniquities have slowed down the plan. But not slowed down in a negative way, in a perfect way. He's built this into his plan. So the iniquity is a qualifier. Our impatience is a qualifier right now, this weekend, this month. Until we get to the place where we choose to get rid of the impatience and we choose to wait, then he'll move. He's waiting for us. It's a qualifier. So here's the iniquity piece. The word unclean is the word tame. And whenever in scripture, especially in the book of Leviticus, it talks about clean and unclean. Unclean is tame. It means unfit for use. It's an unclean sacrifice. It's a bad tool in the master's hand. It's a hammer that doesn't work. It's an ax that's not sharp. It's a fork that can't pick up anything. It is unclean. It's not fit. So over and over again, he got on Israel's case for bringing unclean Tomei sacrifices before him. It is not worthy. It is not fit. And what Isaiah is saying is we are not fit as sacrifices. We're Israel, but we're not fit for him because of our iniquities. Bloodline goes back to the bloodline again. Esau, Babylon, has infiltrated our bloodline. Leviticus 13, it makes me think of this. Leviticus 13, um, this chapter is all about the leper. And leper, as we know, leprosy, as we know, is referenced with sin and missing the mark and iniquity. So in Leviticus 13, there was something that had to, the leper had to do when they were in leprosy. Verse 45, listen to this. Leviticus 13, 45. And the leper, remember, he's unclean, he's Tomei. He's unfit for use, unfit for the master's hand, unclean sacrifice. Leviticus 13, 45. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent. There's that rending again. Interesting that's used with the leper. And his head bare. And he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, listen to this, and shall cry, Tome, Tome, unclean, unclean. So the point where the leper can, is the turning point, where they can then seek cleaning, is when they get to the place where they're crying out to the entire world, not trying to hide their 
unrighteousness, uncleanness anymore, but they cry out to the world, I am Tomé, Tomé. I am unclean, unclean. I finally got to the bottom, the pit. Like the prodigal son, I'm wallowing with the pigs. I finally get it. I totally screwed up. There's nowhere else for me to go. Peter said to Yeshua, we can't go anywhere else. See, this is also in me as having that declaration. I have nowhere else to go. You have everlasting life because I know apart from him, I am Tomei, Tomei. Back to Malachi. Who can stand in the refiner's fire when he appears? I am Tomei, Tomei. I can't stand in the presence of God unless his strong right hand comes and saves me. So Isaiah is saying, God, come down, but we're Tomei, Tomei. So it's a bloodline issue because it's an iniquity. It's another beautiful picture of why Yeshua's blood had to come and go into our bloodline and clean us up from the iniquities that are preventing Yahuwah, the Father, from coming down. Otherwise, we cry, Tome, Tome. Come down, come down, but he never comes until the iniquities are done. So it's through the blood of Yeshua. He is transferring us the bloodline connectivity because of Esau. Because remember, Esau married everybody. All the unclean lines he married. And now he's infiltrated the priesthood. Caiaphas is an Edomite. He's infiltrated the whole world system. So now we have this blood garbage of iniquity. And Yeshua is going to cleanse our bloodline from iniquity so that he can come down. This is his promise, by the way, to Zion. That's why we've gone through those, especially Isaiah 53, 54, 55, to get us to a place where he will come down and Zion will manifest. So both Isaiah 64, 6 and 7 are talking about iniquities. And this is the qualifier. Um, yes, sin has separated mankind. There's a chasm. And this chasm, by the way, now is a different realm. So there's a realm break. Earth and heaven are misaligned. There's a break actually in the realm of connectivity. There's a break in our realm because of sin. But it's the iniquity getting into our bloodline that has made us change families. And Zion is crying out for her kids to be recovered. That's why iniquity specifically is mentioned here. This is also part of the tie back to firstborn and children. Sin isn't associated with children. Iniquity is associated with children and blood. That's why Isaiah also mentions our iniquity is like filthy rags or minstrel rags. Because there is a departure of life through the bloodline. 
life is lost. And then we become just chaff in the wind and we're blown away. Because our bloodline has been corrupted by Edom and the king of Babylon. This is the qualifier for him coming down. So Yeshua comes on Zion's sake. For Zion's sake, I will not rest. For Zion's sake, I'm going to find your kids. And then I'm going to cleanse them in their blood and make them the firstborn again of you. And I'm going to send pillars to establish this in the earth until it comes. So that's what Isaiah is saying. So here we are at the precipice of the Red Sea. Do we choose to go back or do we not? Do we choose to press forward or do we not? We haven't even gotten to the place where the whole earth will have to choose which God do you serve? Are you going to be Israel or are you going to be the world and serve the king of this world? We haven't even gotten to the place of do you want to walk in inheritance or not and walk in the promised land? We haven't even gotten to the place, are you going to serve me as a bond servant, as a priest or not? And all of these firstborn activities will be coming later in Isaiah. So let me close with this with Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah said in verse 6, but, that's the qualifier. Isaiah then does a double reversal and does another but kind of phrase in verse 8. But now, O Yahuwah, you are our Abba. Hence we cry out, Abba, Father. You're not coming down because of our iniquities. Yet, you're going to cleanse us from our iniquities because you are our father bloodline. Those genes are being passed down to us. And Isaiah is crying out to God to remember our genealogy. We were made from your essence. Yes, we have been infiltrated with other blood and other bloodline, but Yeshua is going to bring us back into the place where we truly are like Noah, perfect in our gen uh, generations, perfect in our DNA. But now, O Yahuwah, you are our father. We are the clay. This goes back to being unclean and not fit for use, not a fit tool in the master's hand. He's saying, no, we, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are the work of all of your hand. I think I'm going to, you might have, can we blast through and keep going through Isaiah 64? We're close, close to the end. So now, because he is our father, he makes us through the blood of the tree of Yeshua, the channel of living water, all of these things, back to being clean and fit for the master's use. And now you're going to see how this starts to tie back together to firstborn. So as we're, we're trusting in him, 
we need to think through, do we really trust in him? Because this gets back to, can we get to a place of waiting again? It just said, we're the master, we're the, we're, we're the clay in the master's hands. Do you mind the master working on you as a parent? Do you really trust your kids to him? Do you really trust him as him working through you? And I'm going to say ministry. What I mean by ministry, whatever you do. So if you're in a work job, that is your ministry. Do you trust him in that? Do you trust him that you've sent, that he sent people around you as refiners fire people on you? Do you trust that work or do you want to run away from the Red Sea and go back to Egypt? It all ties together. You've made it this far. Why are you turning back now? Do you trust him? Verse 9. Be not angry, very sore, O Yahuwah. Neither remember iniquity forever. Listen to the cry now, and here is the firstborn cry. Be Behold, speaking to Yahweh, our Father, behold, Abba, we beg you. We are your people. When you get to the place of the bottom, you cry out as a child, Father, I am yours. Stop. Worrying, cry out to him, remind him, Father, I am yours. See, he reminds us of that. But when we remind him back of his words, back of his family, back of his bloodline, back of his commitment to Zion to find the kids of Zion, I am yours, Father. The arrows go out. They don't come into you. Now you have the strength to endure going through the Red Sea and being patient until that happens. This is the cry of the firstborn being Israel. This is why it ties back to blood lineage. This is why it ties back to Zion being made manifest for his children. It is the firstborn Israel cry, I am yours. I am your child, Father. Now, in reality, when the prodigal son came back, he didn't have to cry out, Dad, 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 please remember I'm your child, because this is not how the father responds. The father immediately responds with open arms. But our cry from the place when we realize, Tame, Tame, I have totally messed this up. I, not only me, but my lineage has messed this up. Tomei, Tomei, God, remember what you said in your word. I am your child. I am Israel. He responds. It keeps going in verse 10. Your holy cities are a wilderness. 
Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Genesis 49. Let me explain where I'm going with this on that passage, verse 10. Genesis 49. And this is Jacob giving blessings to all of his kids. Verse 25. Genesis 49, 25. Even by the L of your Ab, of your father, who shall help you? Remember, we read a psalm about he is our help. We don't have to help ourselves. Our help is to get to know him and be in his help. And then we partner with him. Who shall help you? By the El Shaddai, which is Yeshua. It's the glorious bosom of the Father, El Shaddai. Yeshua, by Yeshua who shall bless you with the blessings of heaven above. We already have the victory because heaven is already open. He's saying this to Joseph. Blessings of the deep that lie from within, even the channels under the earth I have given to you. Blessings of the breast and the womb, meaning all the multiplication, all of the bloodline, the blood is a blessing. I have given, El Shaddai, Yeshua has given blood as a blessing to Joseph. Verse 26, the blessings of your father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors, meaning the blessings of Yah prevail against the blessings of the kingdom of this world. Unto the utmost bound of everlasting hills or mountains, meaning unto the everlasting governments have been given to you, Joseph. They shall be on the head of Joseph like a crown, like a king. The blessings don't even belong around Joseph. They're just on his head, like a crown, like a king, showing off the glory and the anointing that Joseph has been given by God. On the crown of him, on the head of him, that was separate from his brethren, meaning Joseph stands apart from the blessings. So now back to Isaiah 64, 10. The blessings, the inheritance of the earth, all belong to Joseph as a birthright, as a firstborn. And he's saying, God, remember, look, the holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Remember the birthright of Joseph. I am Joseph. Remember on your child, I am Israel, firstborn. Remember, I am Joseph. I am firstborn. Verse 11. Our holy and our beautiful house. Tabernacle, dwelling place, meeting place, where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. I, there's the fire again, and all our pleasant things. The things that are pleasant are the ones of encounter with him. 
are laid waste. So now Isaiah is saying, Abba, remember, we are your firstborn priests. These are levels of firstborn that Isaiah is crying back out to the Father. Remember your words, Father. Remember your promises to us, Israel, to us, Joseph, to us as priests. And we're standing at the Red Sea, and we're not coming to this conclusion. We are chasing our tails. Stop and remember who you are. Stop and remember who is Abba. Is anyone greater than Abba? Then stop and wait. This is what Isaiah is getting across for the last days when Joseph gets delivered from Babylon. In my opinion, we are living in the time of the second exodus, and this is all tied together today. But we must wait and remember who we are as the firstborn, remember who he is. So Isaiah concludes in verse 12 and says, will you refrain yourself from these things, O Yahuwah? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very sore? Now remember, Yahuwah through Isaiah said, I will not hold my peace until Zion is restored. I will not hold my peace until Jerusalem has been made manifest. So Isaiah is using God's own words to pray back to the Father. They're the best prayers we can have. Pray his words. And Isaiah is doing the same thing. So we're going to conclude here because 65 then begins Yahweh's response. As pillars, we're the firstborn. We're the ones that need to be ready to make manifest Yahweh's manifestation onto the earth for the latter rain to welcome Zion. That's our job. Heavenly Father, <laughs> we thank you that you remind us of what we need to remember. that you don't get frustrated, don't get impatient and constantly reminding us that we are Israel, that we are Joseph, and that we are a kingdom of priests. And that we cry out to you and say, we are your people and you are our God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reestablish us and remind us of these truths today. That you have anchored us to the earth and to the heavens to be pillars of alignment. 
and we have nowhere else to go because that's our assignment. And we don't want anywhere else to go because we love you. So Abba, remember that we are Israel. We are your children. Remember that you have given us the earth. Remember that you have called us to press against your face, face to face. We ask that your grace and your mercy would be poured out now onto the earth from the heavens and that the channels of living water would flow, that the channels of the refining fire would flow, that the channels of the nostril of your breath would flow, that the channels of gold would flow and the channels of your voice would go forth into the earth and into the heavens and that they would start to tremble and quake and they would get into alignment like puzzle pieces because you have declared it in your word. And we ask that as you come down that the mountains of Babylon would melt like wax. that the whole earth would tremble at your presence. I thank you that you have raised up laborers in bride tribe and in the earth, that they are preparing for your return, that they are preparing for Zion to be made manifest. They are preparing for Israel to be delivered out of Egypt. They are preparing to deliver Egypt out of Israel, and they are preparing for an encounter of the latter rain in Zion on the earth as in the heavens. So, Father, may your dew come down from heaven as righteousness, and may the earth spring forth with salvation and righteousness for Zion's return. We love your presence. And we ask that your fire would light our faces on fire with your anointing, that we would be ever burning before you, that the world would see. And if it takes us to stand by ourselves, we will stand with you, for we are not by ourselves, but we are the remnant, and there's many with us. And in the heavens, there are more with us than there are with the enemy. And the blessings of Jacob will overtake the blessings of the king of Babylon, Esau. We thank you that you invite us and protect us under the shadow of your wings. That there are no arrows that can come, that can come against us, but all the arrows go flying outward from you to our enemies. So this day we ask for evil to be exposed, judgment to be made manifest, mercy to be extended, and the preparation of the path of holiness of your manifest presence onto the earth be established now in Yeshua's name. I bless everyone here and honor them. May you bless them and protect them. May your fiery anointed face shine upon them. May your countenance of light 
rise up and give them peace to wait. And may the covenants of promise be made manifest on the earth as it is in heaven. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.